I'm Phil Rickaby, and I've been a writer and performer for almost 30 years. But I've realized that I don't really know as much as I should about the theater scene outside of my particular Toronto bubble. Now, I'm on a quest to learn as much as I can about the theater scene across Canada. So join me as I talk with mainstream theater creators you may have heard of, and indie artists you really should know, as we find out just what it takes to be stage-worthy. If you value the work that I do on Stageworthy, please consider leaving a donation either as a one-time thing or on a recurring monthly basis. Stageworthy is created entirely by me, and I give it to you free of charge with no advertising or other sponsored messages. Your continuing support helps me to cover the cost of producing and distributing the show. Just four people donating $5 a month would help me cover the cost of podcast hosting alone. Help me continue to bring you this podcast. You can find a link to donate in the show notes, which you can find in your podcast app or at the website at stageworthy.ca. Now, on to the show. Reba Turlson is a multidisciplinary artist based in Winnipeg. She joined me to talk about her solo show, Keeping the Moon, at the Winnipeg Fringe, starting July 20th. In this conversation, we talk about what prompted her to create a solo show, how she decided to incorporate movement and dance into the show, her love of astrology, and much more. Here's our conversation. The show is Keeping the Moon. Yes, it is. Uh, and you'll be uh, performing that at the Winnipeg Fringe Festival. Yep, absolutely. Tell me about Keeping the Moon. Sure. Um, so it's so funny when I talk about this show because I think that it has become something that it might not have been originally Once Upon a Time. I think Once Upon a Time, I was explaining this to someone in 2020. I had a friend who was like, oh, let's create this like sort of online like friend kind of basically like a fringe festival but it was supposed to all be online and it had a theme and the theme was that it was going to be moon based whatever that meant to anyone and so at the time i was like oh what it would like it would be cool if i would do a solo show that had the moon and just talked about the different phases of the moon and the transitions and how they can kind of relate to a lot of different things in our lives like uh like how kind of how we go about in the world mental health and all of that stuff um and then you know i don't even think that festival ever ended up happening and then i just kind of stuck with that idea um and i wanted to do a solo show eventually and i was like well i could mess around with that i could do that so i think what came about it was uh so my character's name is luna um because she is named after the roman goddess of the moon um, and that is that I, I've done a lot of moon research. If anyone wants to fact check me as doing moon research since about 2021. <laughs> so yeah, it's about her and her difficult relationship, uh, with her mother and kind of, uh, we see that happening as we 
transition through different phases of the moon, which are throughout the show. So you get to know about Luna and her journey. And also, I put a lot of my research into this show. I put a lot of moon stuff in this show that people, I mean, I hope that, I hope that uh, they're like, she didn't just make that up. Trust me, I did. I did not make it up. <laughs> Lots of research. <laughs> one, of the, one of the things that I find is sometimes you, there's, you know, you could make something up and everybody would be like, this is really, really well researched yeah. for the one person. And like, because most people don't know. No, you tell exactly. them something and they'll believe it, but yeah. you'll know. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, now you started with this as, a, as, as an idea. I mean, sort of the way you're describing it, a sliver of an idea that would involve like the faces of the moon. Yeah. Um, at what point... Did you start to build a character on it to sort of expand it and, and, and sort of examine a mother-daughter relationship? At what point in the writing process did that come in? Well, that's so interesting because I think um, Luna was always there and her mental health was always there. And I think um, when I started writing, I was like the way my brain doesn't write plot very well. Um, I could just kind of write into the void and not have the pivotal plot things that you kind of see in traditional like novels or like a hero's journey or anything like that so my dramaturg is along the way have really helped me with that uh, but yeah so uh when I started the writing process I was like okay I want each scene to be a phase of the moon and each phase uh, means something different so that is going to influence what she does how she feels in that scene and kind of if we call it the action of that scene is going to be influenced by whatever phase of the moon that we're in. Um, and then the mother daughter thing was interesting because I didn't necessarily go into it intending for it to be as strong as it become, but in an earlier draft, um, I think when I was like probably struggling uh, with plot points, my dramaturg was like, uh, they picked out the mother-daughter relationship thing and went, well, that's interesting. I want to know more about that. Um, let's, let's see what that is. And so that's kind of how I came about more where I'm like, oh, okay, like I can, if that's what you're interested in, then if that's what you're curious about, then I will definitely write more of that. And so that's kind of how it became more about this mother-daughter relationship than I think I had originally intended. It's funny how these things start with a little something and then more interesting thing, like more deep, deeper things come in yeah. as time goes on. And and where you thought you were going to go yeah. is nowhere like where you end up. Yeah, it feels like a very, just from my brain to where it is now, it's a very different show. But I think it's okay. And I think, you know thinking about it to myself that's how that's how plays should be if you have enough time yeah um, i think that's that's yeah. part of the process too yeah. that's like uh, you start with something small and it should expand it should grow yeah. as time goes on and it is a way better show than earlier drafts of it mm. and even than even i think i thought it would be at the beginning of like my 2020 2021 and it's also funny to me and i'm like is it a better show just because of the amount that i've edited it or dramaturged it or is it a better show because i've sat with it a lot longer than any other show i've done uh, i like had this idea again in 2020 
and then started to really like write, I guess, in uh, what year are we in? 2023. So I was like, gosh, the COVID is messing me up now. What is it? What is time? What is time? What do we, we all don't like, if you try to think back over the COVID years, yeah. it's either a year, two yeah. years, three, like it's four years or one year. I don't know yeah. how long that period was. Yeah. I think so. It was like in my brain for a long time. And then I started like having to physically write it in 2022. I think that was my, and then because yeah. And then, yeah. And then I got the artist residency in 2021. So then that was interesting because then I, that was when I had a beautiful amount of time to research all of the things that have ended up in the show. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause I had a month to just kind of make, make art. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and it was lovely. It was like the best time ever. And then I left it. Uh, I came home went back to my job, got a new job, like kind of, and then left it again until maybe like December of that year, like of the next year. Like it was, yeah. So it's really, it's been an interesting journey for sure, writing wise anyway. But it can be good to put something down and come back to it, right? Yeah. There's distance from a thing lets you look at it in a fresh way. Yeah, definitely. It's been, yeah, it's been, and I'm so glad like, I think uh, Winnipeg did this weird thing where I know a bunch of uh, fringe festivals last year were like, hey, clean slate, you can all apply, um, you know, again, because of COVID. But Winnipeg held on to the people that applied to in 2019. And in 2019, I wanted to take a break from doing shows uh, at the Winnipeg Fringe, so I didn't apply. And then COVID happened. <laughs> So I didn't have a show last year and I was like, oh, like it's been so long since I have performed. So it's going to be really interesting Mm. um, getting back into it. It's a weird feeling. I did my first performance last summer at the at at the Fringe in St. John, New Brunswick. Oh, congratulations. And it just felt weird to be in front of an audience again. Yeah, I bet. It felt like it felt like. You hear about about you know, sailors getting their sea legs back. It kind of yeah, felt well, a little bit like that, finding the the cadence and 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 you know interacting with an audience instead yeah. of like, you know digital people. Yeah, it's so different, but uh, that's so cool, especially like that you did it in uh, New New Brunswick. That's really cool. It's a it's a it's a good fringe to to uh, try out something new in. Oh, nice. I don't like to. I mean, it's a, it's a very warm fringe. Yeah, and, but it's kind of it's kind of low stakes. Yeah, you know? for sure. I if, mean, if, if you bomb, nobody at home is really going to hear about it. So it's. I also feel that way about um, the Regina Fringe Festival. God bless Regina Fringe Festival. <laughs> 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 They're always they're, it's like it's so tiny, it's so cute, mm. uh, and it happens over. I mean, it used to. Now I think, I think because I have some friends doing it this year, that it hasn't quite started yet, but used to happen over like Canada Day weekend and it's like oh let's come see some theater even though you know there might be other activities happening and I'm like oh Regina you're trying so hard it's so cute yeah no it's 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 also the I mean the the uh, the 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 fringe 
in in St. John, actually, at this point, there's there was no media coverage, there's no reviews. Oh wow, so, it's really low stakes, then, isn't it's it? Really low stakes. <laughs> like it's not like anybody. If the show bombed, nobody would search it and find a bad review because there weren't any. So it was really. Oh, it's, it's, it's like this. I I could fail. I could fall flat on my face. Fortunately, it went well. Oh, that's um, good. I'm glad. <laughs> now you mentioned you mentioned um, always wanting to do a solo play. Yeah. What what is it? What was your inspiration? What made you want to do a solo play? And I don't know. That's so interesting. I'll probably say that to every one of your questions because I'm just like, oh, that's so, you know, just things you don't think about. Um, I think I had done enough shows. Uh, I think it's it's twofold in that I had done enough shows with like really small casts because I like doing it that way because if I can get the opportunity to pay people um, well, then I would like that versus if I had a cast of like 10 people or, you know, more than that. And then you're like, oh, everyone gets like $40. I'm so sorry. <laughs> um, and uh, I also think it's part of uh, doing Fringe so much as now it, uh, and kind of learning, learning things and that I like to be in control a lot. And uh, people's schedules and things like that. And so if I only have to schedule like myself and a director and a stage manager, then that's perfect because, you know, it, it's way less uh, scheduling conflicts. Um, so I think all of those things I wanted to challenge myself because I like, I think I like a challenge. And a million years ago, um, when I first started doing Fringe, uh, and uh, I became friends with Sam Mullins, who lives in Toronto now. And he lived in Toronto, I think, at the time as well. Mm-hmm. But he used to do, obviously, a bunch of solo shows. And we became friends. And uh, we were always talking about theater and friends and all of that stuff. And I think, I, I mean, this was like, I was, oh, great, like 25, I think, when we met. Like, mm-hmm. now I'm much older than that. But uh, But I think I was just like, wow, that's so cool that like, I think I was like, I think I want to do that. Like, I think <laughs> I want to, but I was too scared. And I was like, I don't think I could do that. And he was like, you could do it. He's like, I think you could do it. So like <laughs> a million, a million years later, down doing it. First off, um, do you remember what play of his you saw? Or did you get to see one of his shows? I've seen many of his shows. Okay. So I've seen Weak Sauce. I saw, um, I think it's called Grandma's Dead or something, oh, which is an, another one. And his Tyrannosaurus Rex show that I don't Tinfoil Dinosaur. Tim, thank you. Yeah. I was like, <laughs> I, I was like there, that wasn't the title of the show, but I was like something about that. Um, so, yeah, no, we're really great friends now, which is yeah. just the best. So There's um, a, a funny yeah. thing about, for me, I, I had wanted, for me, I'd wanted to do a solo show ever since I first read um, a wild abandoned by by the, by Danny McIver. Oh, cool! And I just read it, and it was you know it was great. And then it took me years to be able to 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 start writing it. Right? Yeah. And like I'm, I was as intimidated as as you were about the yeah. idea of standing alone on a stage. Yeah. And performing until yeah. I finally did. Yeah. Um, but writing, I found writing, and tell me if you found this is writing a solo play was a very different process from writing a straight up play. Yeah, it's a lot of, I think for me, the challenge was like, I I really love writing dialogue. I really love, like, you can easily create conflict with dialogue, I think, um, because 
there's two people or however many people you're writing. Um, so I'm grateful that I did some workshops, I think, around around some like solo shows and stuff mm-hmm. to kind of be able like, oh, like what's and my dramaturge helped me a lot with this. Um, she like, what's the turning point? What's the inner conflict? All of these things. So, but I did find it more challenging because I was like, okay, I have to create, you kind of have to create, like, I guess, like, to me, it, you have to create more inner conflict. You have to mm-hmm. create conflict with your environment um, to have stakes because there's not another person on stage with you. So you have to, like, and for me, I think it was more about creating more of a world than I have mm-hmm. had to before because if I have I think mostly I've written like two or three person mm-hmm. and you can easily create for me anyways you can easily like just have that quick banter and create conflict and then mm-hmm. where's the conflict if you don't have another person yeah so I think for keeping the moon I have a lot of um I would say like inner conflict but I do have like mm-hmm. Uh, voiceovers that mm. her her mother. Mm. Um, I have people off stage that you don't see that she has conversations with because I think uh, for me I couldn't not write that mm. because other like I just couldn't I just couldn't not some even if you don't you never see the other characters that I've created but I couldn't not create other characters. Mm. <laughs> So I think the challenge was like, okay, but I have to do this by myself. So I can't have, you can never physically see them. I had to like really incorporate the fact that you couldn't physically see other people that I'm talking to. Mm. For me, when I'm writing a a play that has multiple characters, I start at the beginning and I work through to the end. Yeah. That's, that's always how, how, how it works for me. Yeah. Writing solo. Yeah. I take a notebook and I start to write about the topic. And once I filled that notebook, I transcribe it. I start to type it into into uh, uh, my computer. Oh wow! And at that point, I learn what the what where like what is it, what's forming here? Is there a character here? At that point, I find a beginning and I start to like arrange things. Right? Yeah. You may change, but it's so non-linear mm. as opposed to when I write a, a, a like a straight up play. Yeah. Um. It's such. It's to me. There's like. Different, different, different types of, of writing call for different processes. Yes, so, definitely. Um, that that was how I learned to work because I tried starting from the beginning and working through about twenty times for <laughs> my first solo play, and it just didn't work for that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, when you were when you were writing this, um, how many drafts did you do on your own before you worked with a dramaturg? I that's funny because. I had my dramaturg right away because she was supposed to be my director and she's such an amazing writer. Um, And then she moved to Edinburgh for a year. (laughs) So we quickly realized that she could not be my director. Right. Um, But she was kind of in it from like the start of my writing process where I was like, hey, like, you know, or like, I would I would write things and then she would like send me back notes of like I it was kind of what I was talking about earlier like oh I'm curious about that what would happen if I want to see more of that uh this doesn't work and she would just kind of she asked me what I needed and I was like I would love like writing prompts in the way of like 
what do you think is working? What isn't working? And it, again, I think the idea of this mother-daughter relationship came from one of her notes of being like, I really want to know what that is. Hmm. And the that was the conflict between the mother and daughter that I then expanded into the entire play. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm super grateful for her. Her name is Lindsay and she's amazing. And yeah. so I had I had her from the start and then my director, um, who I have now, Megan Phillips, is also amazing. And hmm. kind of when we started when we started uh, rehearsing, it was kind of even more levels of because she also does dramaturgy. And so then I rewrote, I basically reworked everything in like May and June. So we had a final script two weeks ago. Nice. <laughs> yeah. So it's been, like I say, this is the most that I have ever edited mm. a play one of my plays anyway <laughs> but it's you know it's it's good that you 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 know have like your finished script i remember when i first started writing a solo play the first piece of advice i got was from my friend Jeanette moore who'd done solo plays and she said the most important thing that you can do when you're writing this thing is decide when you are done being the writer yes that's something that's amazing because that is something that uh that Megan has kind of tried to instill in like when we were in rehearsals, she would like refer to like my writer brain as writer, writer Reba, and then mm -hmm. like my actor brain as like, and then she would tell me like, oh, switch off your writer brain or switch off your actor brain or, yeah. you know, so that was really helpful to try to, to try to kind of like, and currently right now I'm like only an actor brain. I yeah. can't, I can't go back to be like, but what is, what do they want? And what about this thing? I don't. I don't know. I don't care. <laughs> yeah, no, and it's it's fascinating to 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 be able to make that break to say now I am the actor and somebody will be like, well, well, what about this? What does it mean? What did the playwright? Yeah. you know, you'd be like, just like, I don't know. I have to make it up now. Yeah, exactly. Like I can't go back and fix it. Now I have to make it up. Yeah, exactly, exactly. That's a good way of putting it. And I think in the past it's been it, so it's been really nice to have a director to be like. Let us let us distinguish when you have to do one thing and when you have to do another thing because I think a lot of our early on rehearsal process was her asking me like writer questions mm. and which is good and it and it was good but then eventually having to be like okay I have to shut that part of my brain off or I'm never going to be able to act in this thing. No, <laughs> no, because you keep your the writer keeps wanting to change things. Yeah quote unquote working yeah and then you're kind of like never you're never enjoy you're never sitting in the performance you're always editing yes oh so gosh yeah that was i mean luckily i've been lucky i've never i've never done that when i've performed i've always been really in really an actor brain when i've done fringe festivals like yeah. on stage but that would that that would be terrible i think yeah <laughs> i've made it i've made it a rule for solo plays that i'm performing that i've never I never make changes. Yeah. Until I'm about until I'm getting ready to produce again. Yeah. Then I'll think about what worked, what didn't, and I'm, I'll tweak and I'll, I'll write maybe some new bits and things like that. Yeah. Um, only one time an improv moment made it into the show and stayed in for the rest of a run. Oh, but interesting. Like, I uh, nothing has ever 
Like I don't edit until I'm like done and about to pro- to to get ready to pro- produce again. Yeah, it's just too much. And also when I'm done performing, I'm like I need to let this sit. Yes, exactly. Yeah, that's uh, yeah, that's that's great advice. Because <laughs> I found an audience teaches you so much about like it's you really one thing do. when you are like if you're a playwright and you're watching other people perform it, the audience is teaching you about the show. Yeah. But when you're in it, when you're performing it. Um, your the audience is still teaching you, but it's a very different relationship. Yes, yeah. And what I've appreciated, um, because I think, uh, again, three or whatever, how many drafts ago that was, uh, when I started rehearsal with Megan, um, I was like, I was really worried about tone, um, because uh, my play also talks about anxiety and kind of what can i mean my character takes medication you kind of know that right away um when you see it so it's not a surprise um so i was really worried about it being like not not necessarily like a downer thing because i think these are important things to talk about but i think that also i was really concerned with oh are people going to come into this and be like oh this play is really depressing like you know i just feel really heavy when i watch this show and so I think with having earlier conversations about that with Megan she's been great um, because she put a lot of like more jokey things in this show than were originally there mm. she like wrote kind of helped me rewrite rewrite some things to make them funnier um, because I do like doing comedy and I think comedy comes a bit more naturally to me. Mm-hmm. So she's been great in like being like, okay, let's make this thing funny. Let's make this thing funny. So it doesn't feel like you're watching, hopefully, like a really, I don't know, depressing play about a mother daughter relationship. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> so, I don't know. My character's awkward. She doesn't know what she's doing. And she's just really, I think she's very socially awkward. So, like, mm that comes with that's gonna be funny to watch on stage when she tries to interact with other people and she doesn't have the social cues or the social skills to really flourish in that environment one of the things that is 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 kind of funny as a performer of solo plays is especially at a fringe festival when you're talking to people about a solo show Mm -hmm. you can sort of see people you start to talk about your solo show and suddenly people, you could sort of see it in their eyes. Oh, great. Another autobiographical show. <laughs> and you're, so I found I wrong. Found, you're not wrong. No, I know. And it's so it's such a stereotype. But I found that I had like my pitch had to be like, why? What What can I say that prove that this is not an autobiographical show? Yeah, because I've been in that situation where somebody comes up and they're can I tell you about my show? It's it's the story of of me overcoming X, you know, and it's right. Okay, right, you know, and so yeah. unless the pitch is really good, I'm. But um, like, you could sort of see people like making that jump as soon as you mentioned solo show, um, and you also like your show is not autobiographical. No, uh, it's not. No, and it's, and but again, it's also fantastical. So that sort of gives you uh, a way of talking about this show that sort of reassures people that we're not it's not another uh, autobiographical <laughs> show well it's so funny um 
I think I talked to a friend of mine like way, way earlier when we were talking about plays and, you know, writing stuff for this year. And at the time, I think what he didn't realize was the show that I was planning on writing was like a play. It wasn't, I was not going to write a solo show about Reba's life and Reba's like struggles or my whatever. I was like, no, no, no. Like, I'm writing a character. I am mm-hmm. writing something that has, like, uh, uh, a hero's journey plot devices. Um, and so, it's funny uh, when we, because uh, you're right, a lot of solo shows are autobiographical. But I think hopefully, when I, if I hand Bill, who's to say? But I don't think I would tell people it was a solo show because of that. It can be a very visceral reaction where it's like. Oh, great. You're right. Like another soul chef. Oh, oh. <laughs> I think I would. And because I think what helps is that any other show I've done has been like a play with characters. Right. And so this is that same. I didn't stray from that. It's just now there's only me on stage versus before there was like other people on stage. Yeah. Um, and as I always say, um, or as al- always, my dad interjects when I tell people about about my show, because because I mean, currently I don't have another tagline, but currently my tagline is it's a show about mother daughter toxic relationships because it is. And then my dad will say, but it's not your relationship with your mother. <laughs> and I'm like, well, you're right. It's not. I think my relationship with my mother will influence how I act certain things. But mm. It's a very, these are two very different people that I made up. Yeah. Like, I have anxiety, so Luna and I have that in common, but I am very extroverted and, like, bubbly and social and all of these things that Luna isn't. Mm. Um, So, uh, we both have anxiety. That's about the only thing I think that, that, uh, is the same (laughs) Uh, and anyone that like knows me would also I think agree that like if they see the play they'll be like oh like Mm. that's not that's not who Reba is I'm not that person so and again the mother person that I created you never see her because Mm -hmm. she's she's not there right Um, she's meant to be an absentee mother and my mother is not that person so yeah, it's just all it's just all in my mind. <laughs> it's interesting about 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 the pitch. You mentioned like not mentioning that it's a solo show, and I think that that's the least that that piece of information is the least least important piece of information that people need to know, right? Exactly. Yeah. Uh, what they need to know is they need to what is your hook? What is that sort of thing? And so you yeah. once you've come up with that, um, they'll figure out it's a solo show when they look and they see only one performer. They don't need to they don't need to know that. You know. Yeah. Exactly. And I don't think, I think, like, with my other plays, I've just tried to describe, like, the plot that would want to grab them. One Date City was really easy with that, because it was like, have you ever had a terrible dating experience? Of course you have. (laughs) Would you like to come and see us act out dating terrible dating experiences on stage? Of course you would. So that one was easy, but it still was like, you know... It was, it's still a play, right? Yeah. It's, yeah. 
Now there's you. There's movement and dancing in this show. Yeah, there is. Um, yeah, and I want to because you you started dancing, and I think you mentioned that you were on the show back in 2020. Yeah, um, and you mentioned that you were you know dancing, but that you'd started in 2020. Terrible timing, by the way. Oh, I know, I know. <laughs> um, but. Did you continue dancing throughout the pandemic or did uh, were there did. online? Yeah, I did. Uh, my dance studio uh, switched to online when we had like really intensive code red and they had to shut down the studio. Um, and then when those were lifted, I went back to dancing in person, but we just had mask mandate. So I that's kind of how I feel about people that are like, oh, masks. And I'm like, <laughs> you can't even complain if you have never exercised with a mask on <laughs> because that is the most torturous thing I can but, <laughs> because it is, you can't breathe. Like, mm -hmm. like you, I mean, you can breathe because, you know, you won't die, but you, it's very, very difficult, especially if you're wearing N95 masks. Mm -hmm. Um, so I was just like, really, you can't wear a mask in like a grocery store where you're pushing a cart and doing very minimal exercising where I'm like, you know, running around and doing cardio and yoga in a mask. And it's like, really, you can't just like push a grocery cart with a mask on. <laughs> uh, yeah. But as far as like dance in this show or movement in this show, um, at what point did you figure out that that was going to be a big part of this, or was it always going to be that? Well, my dream was that it was always going to be a part of it, um, and then earlier on in in the process, I think um, when I was applying for residencies and stuff, and earlier on, I had a different choreographer who became busy, so she was unable uh, to do it. So now I have a different choreographer, but it was always important to me that because I love. I think a part of me is like it's because I I want to incorporate more movement in in my shows, um, and a part of me is that because I love watching dance and I love going to see dance shows. I think they're so interesting because it's a different way of telling a story. And I will also say the handy plot device because I do dancing and then I don't have to talk. <laughs> <laughs> I have two of them. I have two scenes where I know I don't have to talk. Nice. And that is beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that was also um, in my mind. And I was like, yeah. oh, if I do these, then I have to memorize less. So <laughs> Listen, and I think a lot of people don't know how difficult it is to learn lines for a solo show that you've written. Oh, my goodness. It's another beast and probably... <laughs> Because, I mean, you know, it. I, I learned that, you know, use different part of your brain for writing than you do for learning the lines. And yeah. Like, no, it's going to be easy for you to learn the lines. You wrote it and you're like, yeah. it's the harder. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I'm really, I, I feel guilty because I'm really good at memorizing things. So I, it is something I will put off to the very last minute because I know my brain can memorize mm. things really quickly. Um, like for example, we had a rehearsal this week, um, where, you know, I, I think now it's technically, I've been off book for like, yeah, you know, like less than a week. And <laughs> my director was like, you were way more off book than I thought you were going to be. And I'm like, oh, you have vastly <laughs> underestimated my memorizing skills. I'm like, it is, 
yeah, I will say it's a lot easier to memorize um, for me, like dialogue. Like, mm-hmm. it's a lot yeah. easier to memorize. Like, this person talks and then I talk and then this person talks and then I talk. Um, yeah, there are cues. There are cues. There are cues. <laughs> Every everything now is like a cue to myself, and I'm like, yes. oh no. <laughs> and this I've... is an improv. I'm like, I have well, as it can be as improvised, I guess, if the audience wouldn't know. But sure. <laughs> not good to your stage manager though if you go too far. But no, <laughs> I have resorted to so many tricks to try to learn, uh, and relearn the lines of 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 my solo shows. Oh man, what tricks like, do you have? I okay, want to know. so so. I first off, uh, just like reading it out loud as many times as I can before I start to drive myself crazy. Interesting. Um, and then after a while, um, I record it. Yeah, I've done that. I've done that too. And I listen to it in place of podcasts. Yes, I've done that too. Yeah. And we're walking around listening to it just to try to put it in the subconscious in the back of my brain so that it's 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 there. Yeah. Um, and just like repeating sections. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Just repeating a section until it sticks. Yeah. So because, again, it's like if you're in a play, you can run lines with somebody like a, a, yeah. or a friend. Um, whereas in a solo play, you're basically can you listen to me? Yeah. And it's it's so funny because normally I think I would ask someone like, because my dad and I have written a lot of shows together. Normally I would just be like, oh, hey, like, because we've written them together, I would be like, oh, let's run lines if my other actors can't be here because you know it. But this script, he hasn't seen any of it because I just right. wrote by myself. And so I don't really want to be like, hey, do you want to like, quote unquote see my show which is not really <laughs> seeing my show but it is me trying to memorize my lines in front of you um, and I'm like nobody really wants that like no it's awkward for everybody because you know this is a person essentially watching this show yeah. as you stumble in the yes. wilderness <laughs> but I do say like it's so I wish I was the type of person that I could like memorize like lines like in public I cannot like, I have to be, like, at home, in my room, saying my lines out loud to myself. Like, mm-hmm. that that has to be the thing. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's the same, like, because I don't find value in not saying it out loud. Yeah, yeah. I can yeah. whisper it. Like, you can whisper it. But then, you like, if you're outside, you still kind of look. No. You, yeah. You should be doing that at home. And I um, think, like, one of the interesting things that I found, I think, just with this one, and sometimes I've done it with other, I guess I've done it with other plays, but it's easier because there's dialogue. But for this one, I have found that it sticks in me more if I am doing something. If I am, like, so, like, the other day when I was, like, memorizing for most of the day, I was, like, cleaning. Uh-huh. Uh, and because I was moving around, all I had to do, was, I was still talking aloud to myself, these lines, but I was like moving around and I was like, okay, and then you say this and then you say that. Mm. And because I think I was focusing on something else, then like the words came better because I wasn't just like sitting still being like, what's that fucking line? That's because you're, you're sub, you know, it's now you're coming from your subconscious because you're concentrating on the dishes or something. Yeah. And you figure out that, oh, I know this better than I do when I'm not thinking about it. 
yeah, it's uh, it's wild. I think it was it was a wild discovery where I was like, oh, maybe this is how I should memorize lines in the future. <laughs> Things you learn from doing a solo show. So many things, Bill. So many things. <laughs> Maybe that I never do one ever again, and this is just the one time. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I gotta. I gotta say, um, uh, uh, it, it, doing performing solo shows is addictive. Oh, I believe it. I believe it. And once you're done your run, you'll be like, I can't wait to do this again, and you'll have an idea for another solo show. I know. I'm worried about that it, because. There's something about taking an audience on a journey by yourself. Oh, I believe that. Yeah. I can't have, wait. Like, I'm no, really excited. Like, it's exhilarating. Yeah. It's exhilarating. And that's why I think it's so addictive because of that relationship with the audience. And also afterwards going like, yeah, they came. I, I took I did journey. that. Yeah. 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 yeah exactly. Yeah. I'm exactly. very excited to see the reactions and hopefully the praise um, because I'm like, oh, like, again, this is uh, an earlier thought of mine. Again, if I mess up, there's kind of only like me to blame, right? Like I'm the only person on stage. But also, if you love it, it's because like I'm the only person on stage. Like that was kind of my my two like two person thought where I was like, just think of if people really love it. That's all for you, almost. Yeah. Like, it is also for, like, obviously, my director and my stage manager are, they're both freaking amazing. Could not do this show without them. Could they, the amount that of collaboration that's happened, um, including, like, my stage manager is brilliant and she has offered writing ideas that have been great that we've incorporated and, like, very cool set design ideas that, I mean, I don't have any experience in that. And, Megan's been amazing. So, mm. but it's like, I, yeah. So I don't do it alone, obviously, but, <laughs> well, but, uh, yeah. I'm, but also, it's like two weeks away and I'm also freaking out. So, well, naturally, that's just the way things are. Um, now you were talking about your moon research. Yeah. Um, but also, and, you know, you, you love astrology. I really do. Yeah. And uh, so, how did your love of astro- astrology um, play into this show? Um, I think one of the first things that I wrote in one of Luna's monologues was um, uh, when she introduces herself to the audience and she says that her and her mother are both water signs. So, and this, and part of this is still on the show, um, that her mother's a Cancer and she's a Scorpio. But Luna doesn't like astrology, but her mother loves astrology. <laughs> um, which, again, would probably be the opposite of, right. <laughs> of my real life. Um, but uh, and, uh, something, again, this was uh, an idea that my stage manager had, um, which is amazing and is now in the show, is that... Uh, and I mean, I, I drop a bit of astrology in like maybe like sometimes throughout it, but it's really not there that much. But at the beginning, when she's talking about this, uh, my stage manager was like, oh, what? Because I think originally it was just me monologuing about astrology and our differences and our similarities. And my stage manager said, um, her name was Erica, by the way, she's great. And, uh, 
she said, why don't you have it be like a podcast that she's listening to? And the podcast is about astrology. So it's like one of those like astrology podcasts where it's like, you know, the moon is in blah, 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 and Mercury retrograde is doing this. And I was like, that's an amazing idea. I'm like, so now what we have in that scene is she does still introduce herself as her sign and her mother as one sign, but like she listens to what originally was a monologue, but then we turned it into just a podcast audio track that she listens to. Hmm. That's like, welcome back to the cycle podcast. And now we're and now we're gonna talk about the cancer. And then the next thing that she blips is like, welcome back. And now we're gonna talk about um like Mercury retrograde and mm. how that affects the sign of Scorpio. And so that was a really cool thing <laughs> that wasn't in there originally, but made it so much better than I nice. could have ever then and so much better than me just like monologuing to you about astrology which i mean certain people like but certain people are like oh my god i got like we know everyone's obsessed with astrology we know (laughs) when did you first start on your astrology journey oh that's super funny um oh my goodness when did i like i think the most funny thing is how i've gotten other people into it because of my obsession with it. But my obsession came from my friend Erin, who lives in Winnipeg, and she's a lovely human being. And uh, we did a show together a million years ago. And I think at that time, she was like, you know, into astrology and stuff and would tell me things. And then at the beginning, I think, I think this is funny, is that at the beginning, I was like, oh my God, really? Like, I don't care. I <laughs> none of this is or whatever and I think the if I feel like if you talk to anybody that had that point of view and then they get really into astrology they're like oh my god it's like way more accurate than you think that it could be (laughs) Uh, I remember a really funny conversation um, with one of my best friends who is a cancer uh, and we were talking about something and she was like Reba I was reading this this thing on Twitter where it was like it named all of these like kind of characteristics or whatever and then I realized that that person was a Virgo and she was like and I just thought that that was part of your personality and she was like and then I realized that there was more of you (laughs) (laughs) and I was like yeah see this is like the uh, it's a deep rabbit hole but it yeah so I think from early on like maybe oh gosh I don't maybe 2015 um that sounds like a that sounds like the right year that i started kind of being more into it and then because of my friend aaron and then like now i've just dived so far off the deep end uh, (laughs) of astrology but it's kind of nice because through me diving off that deep end i have also pulled other people with me um and now it's a very normal conversation where I will be like, oh, that's because you're an X, Y, Z, or oh, that's because, or like, or that characteristic is because you're this sign. Um, as an example, uh, I just started a new job recently and my coworker literally asked me if I had CoStar and that a uh, CoStar um, is an astrology app. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, 
yes, I do. Do you have coast? That was like, <laughs> not that, it's not necessarily a normal conversation that you bring up, but uh, I was very appreciative of it. <laughs> <laughs> did, did they have a sense that you that you might have that or were this that like... Well, no, I think we were just like talking about birthdays or whatever <laughs> and um, they said what their birthday was and I was trying to like, I'm normally pretty good at like, oh, it's that sign, oh, it's that sign. Right. Uh, and I was just like taking a really long time to do it. And then they were like, oh, do you have co-star? And I was uh, like, oh, yeah, I do. Well, of course I have co-star. <laughs> uh, um, but that's kind of my, yeah. It's probably, I mean, unfortunately, because I like it so much, it's probably going to slip its way into like everything I write subconsciously. I mean, I mean why not? <laughs> and then... um well, the funny thing is, is do you know Melanie Dowling? I don't know if you do or not, but no. uh, she's a Toronto. Well, she's from Winnipeg, but she's a Toronto comedian uh, now. And we did something during the pandemic, which was all online. That was uh, all about astrology, where we had mm. different actors um, or, you know, writers or whatnot perform a piece based on their astrological sign. And people loved it. People like the people involved loved it. The people that watched it loved it. Like, so it, yeah, it's, I see, I don't know. It's also really silly. It's really silly. It's really fun. It's fun to like this really silly thing that you can take or leave. <laughs> the important thing is that it's fun. Yeah. Right. If it's not fun, don't, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't but, do it. So, um, this is, uh, this is not your first Winnipeg Fringe Festival. Oh, my God. Uh, no, it's not. <laughs> but it's been a little while. Well, it's been... The last time I did a show was 2019. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but this will be by... If we count the ones that I've been in that I had no participatory writing in, uh, this will be six. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So... As far as the Winnipeg French Festival, what is your favorite part oh, of the festival? This is gonna sound like like uh, there's 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 too many favorite parts. Um, I the city comes becomes so alive. Uh, the Exchange District becomes so alive during that time, um, and just like the accessibility of like you can go see a show for I know like artists we can complain about I want you to pay more to see my show um, mm-hmm. because I want and I mean I can I can be bad about that I can complain about that too but the fact that you can go see like a really well done show for like $12 right is amazing I get so many uh cool ideas inspiration from friends more than from any other theater that I have ever seen uh, yeah. during our our theater season here um, in Winnipeg. That's where I get inspired um, is the Winnipeg Fringe. And also, um, I get to see my friends. I get to mm. see my friends that don't live here. Uh, I get to see my Fringe family that are all super excited for Winnipeg because it's one of the bigger festivals. Mm. Um, mm. And everybody just kind of gloms together hangs out it's like a two-week party where we're just you know we're making art we're doing our art we're staying out we're hanging out um it's it's 
it's like my Christmas. It really is. That people call it fringe miss. I don't know if you guys over there in Toronto do that too. I mean, people do. People do. Yeah. Go to theater Christmas or fringe yeah. miss. It's all. Yeah. It's all because it is the time when the fringe family comes together. And I think because I think there's something different. Um, you know, Toronto as we record this, the Toronto fringe is in full swing. Yeah, it sure. Is. Uh, yeah. But to me, there's something different between being part of the fringe family in Toronto mm-hmm. and then like leaving and going to other fringes. Cause there's more, I feel like as soon as you are in some of the, the fringes outside of, outside of Toronto, like, like, like Winnipeg, like Edmonton and all yeah. the other, ones, uh, the, there's a real camaraderie that's sort of missing mm-hmm. from the Toronto fringe. Mm-hmm. Um, artists are constantly like promoting other shows and, and like going to see each other's shows and mm-hmm. then, get excited about other people's shows which i think is one of the unique things about going to other fringes yeah i love going to other fringes i love uh, i mean when i can afford it and you know when the cast lottery is kind to me it was yeah. not this year but that's okay um but uh and just experiencing different uh different things so that the the reason that i haven't done toronto in the past is because normally you're um well, and especially what's happening right now, your Fringe Festival falls during Winnipeg's Folk Festival. Yes, yeah. Um, and I love Folk Fest too much. So you go to Toronto for <laughs> That is fair. That is completely fair. <laughs> and also, I think in the past, um, my tech has normally been, except Fringe this year, Winnipeg Fringe this year is like a week later um, than I think it normally is because normally like our tech the Winnipeg people text is like the weekend of folk festival, which is normally the weekend before fringe starts. But, be- oh. but this year for some calendar reason, the fringe festival starts on July 19th. So we get like an extra week in between, mm. but normally they're back to back. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I can remember traveling like, like uh, I think when, when I was, went to Winnipeg 12 years ago, Yeah, we've, it was not even the last day of Fringe, but it was some one of our cast members' last performance. Yeah. I think their performance ended at like 3.30, 4.30. Mm-hmm. We met them with a car. They threw their shit in the car and we started driving. Yeah. Because um, we had like two days yeah. to get there and uh, it was quite the quite the trek. So yeah. you got yeah. to get there fast when they're when they're on, on, on each other's heels like that. Yeah. It, it's a bit nuts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Except this year, my of course, and maybe this is other things happening in the universe. My tech is actually uh, during the week instead of on the weekend, and I wonder if that's because my director is uh, Megan's technically from out of town. She has her own show. She's directing my show. She's directing another show, um, and it's been the first time ever where I've had to tell my work. I'm like, so I have this thing like I be at in the middle of the week. And it's going to be a real hot mess, but we're going to figure it out, right? It's okay that I don't come to work on a Tuesday, right? Right. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> um, Reba, um, one last thing is I know that you have uh, a one ASL performance. I do. I'm super pumped. Um, have you done an ASL interpreted show before? I have not, um, but I'm very excited. Um I know, I will say this, I know very, very minimal ASL. 
Um, but when I was younger, when I was like uh, 11 or 12, I had like a like a mentor friend and she taught me she taught me the alphabet in sign language. Um, so I've known the alphabet for most of my life in sign language. And then I used to also work at a camp and we would often work with um, or I would often work with adults with disabilities. Mm. So I picked up, I learned some like, again, minimal ASL. Um, so I know like a few things. Um, yeah. I by no means am not as experienced and as wonderful as as the ASL interpreters are um, or people that know ASL, but I'm very excited. Um, I'm at the, uh, even thinking about it, I'm like, oh no, like I'm just going to be so distracted as an actor because I will just want to watch them. <laughs> that, that is that is tough. That is really tough. Because it's so like, cool what they do. You're only going to have like one shot at it with them. And it's, yeah. it's just, you'll kind of want to see what they're doing. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, no, I'm very, I'm very grateful uh, for that opportunity uh, because I think we should all be, if we have the funding, if we have the opportunity to make theater more accessible, then that is definitely something we should all be working towards. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Reba, thank you so much for joining me. Ah, uh, thanks, Phil. This was lovely. Thank you for having me on. Uh, I love a podcast. <laughs> I love a theater podcast. I love a theater podcast. <laughs> This has been an episode of Stageworthy. Stageworthy is produced, hosted, and edited by Phil Rickaby. That's me. If you enjoyed this podcast and you listen on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, you can leave a five-star rating. And if you listen on Apple Podcasts, you can also leave a review. Those reviews and ratings help new people find the show. If you want to keep up with what's going on with Stageworthy and my other projects, you can subscribe to my newsletter by going to philrickaby.com slash subscribe. And remember, if you want to leave a tip, you'll find a link to the virtual tip jar in the show notes or on the website. You can find Stageworthy on Twitter and Instagram at StageworthyPod, and you can find the website with the complete archive of all episodes at stageworthy.ca. If you want to find me, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Phil Rickaby. And as I mentioned, my website is philrickaby.com. See you next week for another episode of Stageworthy. Worthy.